0: Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined with Beth Hughes, and I found her, of course, on Tech Talk. You guys know me. I tell you, she talks about some heartbreaking things that happened in her life, some unbelievably uplifting things that have happened in her life. Her journey starts with loss and grief and even sexual trauma, and I am so honored to have you on my show, Beth. Welcome. Uh, Thank you, Leslie. Thanks for having me. I tell you, your stories came up on my For You page, and I didn't even know you were on a podcast because you did a stitch with someone, and it talked about the hardest phone call you ever got. So I'm just going to start there, and let's just keep going.
1: Uh, Yeah, I um, originally had gotten on TikTok and started talking about being a female solo traveler. I'd been living in an RV for quite a few years. And I got on TikTok one day and there was a question that was asked, what was the hardest phone call you ever received? And I just answered it. And it revolved around the loss of my oldest son, who was four years old. I had worked for an airline for many, many years. And uh, most airlines, you get free flying my ex-husband he had been very abusive and he had been gone for a long time and I had kind of gotten a little bit out of touch with his family I talked to his mother every once in a while but I was kind of keeping my distance out of fear of him finding us again but I was feeling kind of guilty about that so I made the choice to fly to where they lived which was about a thousand miles away and let them spend some time with their grandson, who they had not seen since he was born. And he was four years old now. How nice of you. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we did it. Um, the whole family was just thrilled to see him. My ex was not there, did not know we were there. Mm. So it was a very comfortable visit. We had a really nice time. It was a long weekend. And he was just having a, a wonderful time. And they asked if he could stay longer. They knew that I could fly free, so I would be able to go home and then Turn around the next week and come back to get him. And I made that decision to do that. Um, A regret, though, was when I was leaving and he was staying, we got to the airport a little bit late. We were running late. And he kept hanging on my neck, hugging and kissing me and telling me goodbye. And my, (laughs) my regret was I had to kind of pull his arms off of me and run for a plane, which now that I think back on it was. So unimportant, you know, I I could have missed that plane and just let him hug me as long as he wanted to. And I unfortunately didn't, I ran for the plane. Mm. That was the last time I saw my child alive. He spent the whole week, I talked to him every night and uh, he was just having so much fun. They were spending time at one of my mother-in-law's friend's house who had a farm and animals. And I got pictures of him with the horses and they made the decision the day before I was to fly back up there to go to a lake that had lifeguards mm-hmm. she and her girlfriend took my son and honestly i don't remember i think her girlfriend had her grandchildren there also that were maybe a little bit older okay. but my mother-in-law was in the water with my son he was playing and she was sitting in a little lawn chair so they were only in about a foot maybe a little bit more than a foot of water okay. and the lifeguards called for an adult swim Uh, and basically they just have everyone come out of the water. The kids have to take a break. And if the adults want some time in the water, they can be in the water without having all the kids around, usually just a few minutes. And they called for the adult swim. my mother-in-law stood up from her little chair, turned her back to my son for a second to fold her chair and then turned and reached for his hand and he was gone. And uh, she thought that he had run out of the water, so she hollered to her friend. And they started panicking, looking for him. And, uh, of course, I wasn't there. I'm just repeating stories that I've been told. But right. uh, the lifeguard had noticed what was going on. There was a group of probably 20-something-year-old men that had been tossing a football around. They had been drinking and just, mm. you know, roughhouse and having a good time. But they were very near my mother-in-law. And when they didn't find my son out of the water, she had them all hold hands and go back into the water. And I don't know if one of the men actually came forward. I, I'm not sure how, but someone said that they believed he was knocked down by these, oh. these guys and they didn't, the guys didn't realize it and they trampled him. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sorry. <clears throat> I'm good about talking about things. And then every once in a while, <laughs> no,
0: I I'm take your time breath away. No, take your time.
1: Yeah. Um, they went into the water and they, they found my child. The lifeguard, who was only a young girl herself, performed CPR. She wrote me a letter roughly a year, maybe eight months after my son's death, just describing the day a little bit more. But in the letter, she said that he actually opened his eyes and looked at her and smiled and shook his head no. Oh, no. And uh, he died in her arms.
0: I'm just, I'm speechless. I just, my goodness.
1: You know, wow. it's it's funny, it's I tell this story and I and it's become therapeutic for me to tell it as hard as it is. Yes. But it's it's almost like it's it's not me it happened to. The person in the story and the child in the story look a lot like my son and and me telling the story, but it's it's like I've detached myself from it. Right. To survive it, I guess.
0: Oh, absolutely. No. I'm sure that's part of it. But I gotta say, how lovely for that 18-year-old girl to think enough of you or that occurrence to explain to you something very heartbreaking but kind of magical that happened between the two of them?
1: Yes. I thought about her forever. I remember writing her back, to be honest with you. I have no idea what I wrote. So much of all that is just um, very foggy to me. But I I had worried about her for a long time because I couldn't imagine how that would affect her especially going on and having a family of her own. And many years later, I was told that uh, she did have a family of her own and she was well and she was happy. And that gave me such a sense of peace, you know, knowing that she was okay.
0: Right. And you know, you, you were talking about, Oh, I regret making him not hug me anymore, taking his arms away from me, but you had an 18 month old at home too, and you were trying to get back to your other child. So I hope that you know (laughs) No matter what you would have done, in my mind, I know this was his destiny, even though it hurts like hell to talk about it sometimes, because so many wonderful things have come out of this for you. So tell me a little bit more about your other children and Eric's involvement with them.
1: Well, like you said, my second oldest was 18 months old when Eric passed. And I believe they're too young to really grasp the concept of death. So he knew that his brother was gone Uh, It wasn't something that I hid from him or anything, but um, it was about six months after Eric had died and my child and I, we were out walking, looking at Christmas decorations. It was Christmas time. And he kept looking over his shoulder and looking over his shoulder at the lights on the house. And he stopped and he pointed and very excited, he said, Ari, Ari's here. And he was pointing at the lights and Eric had a little bit of a lisp and had trouble saying his own name. And he called himself Airy. Oh. So when Eric referred to himself, he'd say Aerie. And he he pointed at the lights, and then he pointed down in front of us like he saw something come down. And it was a good year of my child seeing him. I would hear him in the living room. He would be standing at the TV with his hands on a black screen. The TV was turned off. And then he would turn quickly and sit down and start playing and talking to oh, Eric. Wow. The daycare center that I had taken, Eric, and uh, my second oldest, too, they actually called me one day and asked me to come in and talk to them. A bunch of the women that worked there were very uncomfortable with my child because he was talking to his brother all the time, and they what? remembered Eric.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow. And,
1: um, yeah, I, I remember trying to get them to understand how special this was yes. and that if it was their child... You know, instead of being creeped out by it or disturbed by it, that they would find some kind of comfort that, Absolutely. again, I don't I don't think children that age really, you know, grasp the whole death thing. And I think this is my own personal opinion, but I think as adults, we see things, we see shadows, we see things that catch the corner of our eye, we hear things, feel things, and we rationalize it. Sure. We say, oh, it was just a shadow. Oh, it was just a breeze. Oh, it was just... Right. And children don't do that. Children, I believe, see things as they are. And I believe that my son was seeing his brother.
0: Oh, absolutely and to me, I they're fresh from the other side. They have no one saying, Hey, it's not real, you know, this is your imaginary friend or whatever. To me, these little children, eighteen month old, two year old, even up to four or five years old, they're fresh from the other side. They they had that ability, I think, without even trying, whereas we lose it and then try to get it back maybe later. But you know, it it's just it astounds me that they did that, and I'm so sorry that that they didn't take it the way that you did. Kudos to you for that.
1: Yeah, that was a little rough, it, and especially trying to decide what I was going to do to find another daycare yeah. <laughs> because I didn't want, I didn't want my child going back there. And it, it worked out well. I ended up having a friend that started sitting for me, and she was lovely and she was wonderful and loved my child. Oh, good. Okay. But yeah, like I said, it it stopped one day. All of a sudden, he just wasn't talking to him anymore. And I never really asked him anything. I just kind of let it be. Um, My daughter, it was my daughter's kind of quiet. It's funny. My daughter, not much happened with my daughter until she was an adult, like her apartment. She's got photos of Eric and she is the first one to call me and talk to me about Eric. And of course, she was born many years after his death. But there's a connection there, Absolutely. and that she feels more as an adult than yes. you know she showed as a child. And then uh, my youngest son, he is eleven years younger than Eric. Oh wow! So again, he never knew his brother. He was born long after Eric passed. But uh, Ian was four years old, and it just so happened to be Eric's birthday. It would have been his fifteenth birthday. And on the day that my son was born and the day that he passed, for probably 30 years, I usually take off and go somewhere. Again, I still have the free flying from working for the airlines oh, nice. all those years ago. Nice. And I would usually go to the airport in the first plane going out. I would just get on it and go walk around Boston or Quebec or just go somewhere for the day, turn around and come home. Oh, wow. I like to say I was following my son's spirit. Oh, it was just a day for Eric and I. I, I could be that. sad. Yeah. I could be happy, whatever I needed to feel and not worry about making someone else uncomfortable.
0: I love that. Um, I I have to tell you, that's me. Well, you know, I would never have thought of that. And what a beautiful thing to do with you and your because he's with you the whole time. So yeah,
1: no, he's always with me. But those days, it's just, you know, allow myself to feel whatever I want to feel and, and not worry about it. Right. But um, that day, it was Eric's birthday, so I was getting ready to go wherever I was going to go that day, and my youngest son liked to sit in the bathroom with me. He would always sit on my feet when I was getting ready, Mm. and he was playing with his Legos, and we were talking, and he knew that I was going to go away, and he was going to stay with a friend, with his brother and sister, Mm -hmm. and uh, he asked me, he said, and he never looked up at me, but he said, what happens when you die? Oh, wow. And I thought, you know, I need to answer him. He's four years old. I need to answer him in a way that he will understand. Yes. So I'm, you know, I'm being cautious and everything. How I'm answering him. And um, I had not raised my children with any religion. So I was going through the different religions and each one of their beliefs sure. and giving a very brief four-year-old explanation. And I got to reincarnation. And I asked him if he could say that word. And he said yes. And he said it. And before I could say anything else, he said I've come back, but I've only come back twice to you. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's how yeah. <laughs> and I stood there staring down at him, and he was still playing with his Legos. And I said, Eric? And he looked up at me, and he said, what, Mom?
0: Oh, my God. I have and chills. I have
1: chills. His son's name is Ian. Oh and um, it just, it rattled me, but at the same time, it was just comforting.
0: Absolutely. And I'm wondering, do you know when your oldest son kind of stopped chatting with him? Was that around the time that you had Ian?
1: Uh, No, before. Okay,
0: okay. I just wondered because to my listeners, Beth and I discussed this before we started recording about this whole reincarnation thing where I was like, you know, I'm wondering if it was a visitation. But I'm also wondering if if he really did come back to you in your youngest son. And because I do think after a while, they stop remembering things because there's so much that Ian knew that there's no way he could have known. And he knew about other things that there's no way he could have known. So tell my listeners more about that. Oh,
1: there was a, a Bible when I was actually in the military. I was in the Air Force And one of the things that they allowed us to send home when we first went to basic training was a Bible, Mm -hmm. of all things. Mm -hmm. And um, even though we were not a religious family, I was like, yep, I'm sending this home to my mom and dad. I had it engraved and I sent it home and it was this giant golden covered Bible, uh, very large. (laughs) And uh, my mom and dad kept it for many years. And when my parents passed, it returned to me. And Ian was very young. My youngest son was, was young. He was three years old when my parents passed. And he took to that and would wow. carry it around the house with him. And it was almost as big as he was. And we used to laugh <laughs> yeah. at him. And But he would sit down and he would open it up and tell stories about the pictures. And so many times he would get the names right or he would tell a story wow. about where this was. And just, you know, it never made sense to us how he knew these things. But he did. And the running joke between my other kids and I were that, you know, Ian would probably go on to become a minister or a (laughs) priest or or something because (laughs) because of all this. Yeah. But yeah, and you know, while we're talking, I'm sitting here thinking about this. Ian was my child that was afraid of everything. Really? Everything. And from like from a very young age and up until probably like ten years old. And he was always afraid of being hurt, always afraid I mean, like, afraid of everything. I, I couldn't even take him to Disney. He would have, like, little panic attacks if we were trying to watch The Little Mermaid show or something, and I'd have to go sit outside with him while the other wow. kids stayed. And And I, I worried about it, and I couldn't imagine where this fear of being harmed came from. And oh my, um, my, my son now... He became a National Park backcountry wilderness ranger. So he's out there like chasing bears and (laughs) hanging off his mountains and (laughs) skydiving. And he did this flip-flop at like 10 years old where it's like he's not afraid of death or being hurt at all anymore. In fact, he just – He decided he wanted a break from the National Park Service. He's been doing that for 10 years out in the middle of nowhere, out in the Tetons in Wyoming and Yosemite in California. And he packed up a couple months ago and moved to New York City. And only my child, he finds a job harnessing himself off of the 82nd floor, I think it is, of a skyscraper and dangling people off of skyscrapers.
0: What? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Can you believe that? That people want to do that. Even in the winter, they're doing this stuff. But um, yeah, so, and again, I never put two and two together until right now while we're talking, but I'm thinking the fear was that... You know, did Eric reincarnate for a while? And I
0: really think here's the deal: I fear of
1: being hurt or I, being in a dangerous situation, and all of a sudden, you know, now my son is the complete opposite. Yes, and become
0: uh, that. Here's the here's what I think happened, and I and listen, you know the story way better than me, but I have stalked your TikTok, and you know that because I keep liking everything. Because I've listened to the, the other podcast you were on and, and you know your stories, and then just what I know about reincarnation with my other people that I've talked to so many different times, I honestly think he came back to you through your youngest son, and he was Eric for a while in your younger son, and then they become the person they were meant to be in this lifetime, and now he's actually Ian, but he's still that soul of Eric. I really, truly believe that
1: yeah that makes sense to me. that's that's how it feels.
0: Yes and I and I think a lot of my listeners do not know this, but I lost a child between uh, my son and my daughter. I, I was about eighteen weeks and um, my water broke, so I was about halfway. My water broke and I had to give birth. I you know 1999 you know wouldn't have worked anyway. it was too early. Um, and it was a little boy. And I had to go ahead and give birth, but it hadn't passed away when my water broke, which is the hardest part for me is what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Sure. But I am convinced that my daughter, who I wasn't supposed to be pregnant with that quickly, I think he came back with her. I really think my, my yeah. child came back and was like, okay, I want to." maybe he wanted to experience what it was like to not live very long or just be in utero. I don't even understand how that works. But I think you come in and you want to do something and experience something and or maybe he changed his mind and decided he didn't want to be a boy. I don't even know. All I know is I really think that he came back and now it's my daughter.
1: Yeah, I'm so sorry you went through that. But I do believe that, you know, like with my situation, even if I had been there, I couldn't have changed anything. I, I just think that this is. It was the how things were supposed to go. And
0: the more you talked about it, when you said he had the fear of everything, because, you know, that was a past trauma in his life. That soul had a trauma and he worked through it. And look what he's doing now. How amazing. And your children, all of them have amazing lives. Your oldest son has won an Emmy, a daytime Emmy award. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm blown away. And, you know, I'm going to say
1: this. I was pretty much a single parent my entire life. Mm. And I was married more than once. They did not work out. They were always the wrong people. And I heard probably one too many times, you know, my poor children, because they don't have a dad. It's just me. You know, she's struggling. She's whatever. And um, it's really hard not for me to brag about them because they beat the odds. You know, everybody wants to say that single parents, whether you're a male or a female, The odds are stacked against you. And I really, I just don't believe that. And I kind of feel like where my children are now in life and they're happy and they're good people, they're good morals, and uh, they're just fun to be around. And I hope that they're helping break that mold that people believe that.
0: Absolutely. Now, what do you you think about Eric Dowd? Do you still celebrate with him? Do you still do things on his birthday? Do you still do those things?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I still every birthday, every I mean, it's it's an everyday thing. But I really emphasize on it on the day he passed and the day that he was born. Um, Years ago, I started writing on Facebook letters to Eric. Mm. And it was me just pouring my heart out. But it was also me wanting people to be more comfortable with it unfortunately i didn't have that most of my family members were very uncomfortable Aww. talking you know bringing it up afterward right, right. and so here i am needing to talk about it and not having any outlet i could feel when people would get uncomfortable right if i started talking about my son and i'd get teary eyed they'd get very uncomfortable like don't talk about it, don't talk about it and and inside, I never said anything, but inside I'm thinking, I have to. It's okay that there's tears. It's okay that I'm crying. I'm going to be all right. I need yes. to do this. Yes. And I found that outlet writing those letters on Facebook to my son, which turned into me talking about him on TikTok.
0: TikTok's a whole better animal, isn't it? I mean, you can be just haggard in the morning not no makeup and it doesn't matter no one judges you you know why because they want to hear your story your stories are incredible because guys we have more there but wait there's more
1: (laughs) there's so many uh, back and I look at my tiktoks and I think (laughs) oh my gosh what was I thinking I didn't even brush my hair oh
0: no 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 and I didn't mean it like that I I hope you didn't take it that way because everybody does it that way but I tell you guys she has ghost stories there are things that have happened in her life. She's had luck at like this Wizard of Oz casino thing. I mean, I just, some of the stories, but the one that really struck with me and you tagged me on it was the Walter story. So tell my listeners about the Walter story. Oh gosh.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> I I love yard sailing because I, I was broke for so long. I had... Yeah. I had mentioned to you earlier that um, I worked for a major airline. When 9-11 happened, they came through and said, it, at my station, they said, if you don't have 26 years with our company, you need to go home. And this oh was God. as we are watching the towers fall. What? And at that moment, I had 23 years with them. And I'm thinking, what? You know? Oh, my and God. oh my Yeah, God. basically, they dropped us down to part-time. Uh, I had like a two-hour shift at night. They forced me into leaving. I I couldn't support my children anymore after 23 years. And I moved over to the Department of Homeland Security. While I was with Homeland Security, I broke my neck. And I'm doing great now. I still have a lot of trouble with my arms. I notice it. I hope it's not noticeable to others, It maybe at times. but So when I won my case against what happened to me, They had drug it through court for five years, and I had no income whatsoever. I could not work. I couldn't do anything Mm -hmm. while it went through the court system. And the the lawyer told me it takes between five and seven years to win because they drag it out hoping you'll just give up. And I was so angry at what happened to me that I dug my heels in and stuck it out. Good for you. But when I won, I basically won a little over $1,000 a month to live off of. So that's which not much. than nothing. But, yeah, but it's not much. I, yeah. I had to figure out how to make that work. So I became an expert yard sailor. <laughs> so I took my youngest son out with me one day, and I was looking for a bookshelf. And I come to this home, and he's got this beautiful lawyer's bookshelf with the glass doors and everything. And he wanted $75 for it. Which was out of my price range, yeah. so I thanked him. And as I was walking away, I'm walking past his garage, which was open, and his garage was pristine. There was nothing in it, perfectly clean, except for this dresser in the back corner, and it was turned so the front of it was against the wall. Okay. And I said that the gentleman that was having the yard sale was probably in his eighties, mm-hmm. and I said to him, uh, "Oh my gosh." that's beautiful. What's it doing in your, in the back of your garage? And he, he got very irritated and he said, my uncle Walter left that to me and I didn't like the son of a gun. Oh, wow. And I, and the anger that instantly came up with him, I thought, don't ask any more questions, just thank him and be on your way. Right. So I did just that. And as we got to the end of the driveway, he, he was calling me Missy and he was like, Missy, Missy, come back here. I want to talk to you. And he said, you really like that bookshelf, don't you? And I said, yes, I do. And he says, I'll tell you what. He goes, for $100, I'll let you have the bookshelf and the dresser. Oh, wow. And I'm looking at this dresser and I'm thinking, it doesn't need much work. I could flip this and probably make. Five to seven hundred dollars off of this. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. Oh, it's I've seen it. Condition.
0: I've seen it. It's you. You showed a picture. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah, isn't gorgeous.
1: Yes. And I love the the top hat cabinet for his yes. top hat. Yes. It's just a beautiful, beautiful dresser. So I was kind of like yes, and then I thought, all right, somebody's not getting paid this month because <laughs> if I didn't have seventy five dollars for the bookshelf, I sure don't have a hundred. But right. I made it work. I borrowed a French truck. We came and got it brought it home and I put it in my third bedroom, which I turned into like a reading room, like a little library. Okay. And I got out my Murphy's oil soap and I polished him down. I was just so proud of him. And it was close to my son's birthday and I had promised him I was going to take him indoor skydiving. Okay. So we were getting ready to leave. And um, my youngest son had turned his walk-in closet into a little recording studio and he had the walls, you know, padded up and everything. Yeah. And We're leaving the house, and as we're walking down the outside sidewalk, I had left my blinds open in my bedroom just an inch or two, and I caught the glimpse of a man standing in my bedroom with a top hat and coat on, and I stopped, and I backed up, and I looked again, and there's nothing there, and my son says, "'What's wrong?' And I said, "'Ian, I just saw somebody in my bedroom.'" And my son went white, like the blood just drained right out of him. And he said, Mom, get rid of that dresser. Please get rid of that dresser. Oh no. And I oh. I kind of chuckled and I said, Why would you say that? And he said, I want you to listen to something. And we went back in the house and he plays back the recording of him earlier that day recording music and there's a man's voice on the recording. What? And you you couldn't make out what he was saying, but he was like talking very low and You know, we went outside and to see if the neighbors had been out in their yard. Maybe you could hear their voices through the wall. We were trying to figure out where the voice was coming from, and we never did. So I told my son, I said, look, if anything else happens, I will consider getting rid of the dresser. I said, but I I think we're going to be okay. I said, maybe I was just seeing things. So a couple weeks went by, maybe a month or so, and I have my grandchildren over, and they're spending the weekend. And um, they would have been maybe four and two. Yeah. And we're laying in bed and I'm reading them, Stuart Little. And I hear what sounds like breaking glass, like like my glass sliding doors, breaking glass really big. Wow. And my grandson sat straight up and I was, you know, I'm like, oh, Nana must have left the window open. It's okay. You guys stay in bed. I'll be right back. And I'm thinking that wasn't a window open. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I go down the hallway and my kitchen, dining room, and living room are all open, one giant space with an island in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I go straight through my glass sliding doors that go out to my back porch and they're fine. So I turn to the living room, which I had like four windows along the back wall and four windows along the side, and I'm opening the curtains. Everything's fine. I turn to the kitchen and there's one window in the kitchen over the sink and it's fine. But I see as I walk into the kitchen – I had four glass sun catchers that had been hanging on that window and there were suction cups on the window and then metal hooks that I had to like secure down onto the uh, suction cups. Okay. So the sun catchers and the hooks are on the floor, but the suction cups are still on the window. So they had to have been lifted to be pulled off and they're laying on the floor. They're not broken though. So I pick up the sun catchers and I put them back on the window and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, this is crazy. You know, these little sun catchers wouldn't have made that loud right. glass breaking noise. Yeah. So I go back to the bedroom and I get back in bed. I tell them everything's fine. The wind, I lied and I said the window was open and we start reading again and minutes and that glass breaking sound again. So oh my, my grandson has actually fallen asleep now, and my granddaughter is believing me when I say, oh, you know, let me go check again. Everything's fine. And now I'm, I'm scared. I'm actually terrified going down the yeah. hallway, and I'm thinking, what is going on? And I go immediately to the kitchen, but the sun catchers are hanging on the window. Mm. And I turn and I go to walk into my living room And I have four wrought iron candlestick holders, the real tall ones. They're like three and four foot tall. Yeah, yeah. And they are over in the corner next to my couch near the corner of the living room. Well, all four of them are in the middle of my living room laying on top of one another. Oh, my God probably like seven foot away from where they were standing
0: I would have, that would have scared the crap out of me
1: it, it did it did but all of a sudden and and if I had been alone I probably would have bolted <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my grandkids were at the back of the house and I started picking up the candlestick holders and I don't know what came over me but I just got angry and I said Walter, I don't mind that you're here, but there's some rules you're going to obey. I said, you're not going to scare us. You're not going to break things. You're not going to harm anybody. And I'm just rattling off things. And then I ended it by saying, my grandkids need to be asleep. I'm tired. We can talk about rearranging the furniture another time. (laughs) And I went to bed. (laughs) And do you know that I started this little ritual? Like I traveled a lot because I still had the free flying, so I would travel a lot. And whenever I would leave, I would, like, talk to the house. I never, very rarely, the only time I stood in front of the dresser and talked to Walter in the mirror was when I was crying about something. But normally I would just talk to the house and I'd say, Walter, I need you to watch the house. Don't let it flood. Don't, you know, no electrical problems. I'll be back. And then when I'd come home, I'd say, hey, Walter, thanks for watching the house. Everything was great. But when I would forget to do that, like acknowledge him, something would disappear. Um, One time I was was going overseas, I had gone to the bank and I'd gotten some cash and I was getting ready for bed and I couldn't find it anywhere. The money, I could not find it. And without the money, there was no way I was going. So I started stressing a little bit about it and I decided, okay, just go to bed, get up a little extra early, I'll find it. So I went to bed and when I laid down, I was like, Walter, I need your help. I need that money. You know, I can't go anywhere without that little bit of money I was going to take. Right. And I'll be damned if I didn't wake up in the morning and it was laying at the foot of the bed. You
0: are kidding me.
1: No, it happened a lot of times. My oh. uh, my engagement ring from when I had been married, I was still, money was extremely tight still, and I decided that I was going to sell it, and it disappeared. I couldn't find it. It was probably a month, and then finally I was like, I need, please help me find this. And it was laying on the sink like I had taken it off when I'd washed my hands. Yeah, there was a bunch of little things with Walter that would go on, and... Over the years you
0: figured my out my daughter
1: is still a little <laughs> creeped out by him. She oh, yeah. she doesn't want she doesn't want to be around Walter. Nothing ever bad happened with right, him right. other than that time with my grandkids, but um I've grown fond of Walter. <laughs> yes. And I sold my house and all my belongings to a friend back in 2014 and I took off on the road. And I dragged Walter with me, I got a U-Haul, and I moved Walter from the East Coast to the West Coast and put him in storage. And I go visit him every once in a while, just so he doesn't get mad at me. And uh, (laughs) I tell him that we will have a house again one day. But yeah, that's my that's Walter.
0: So I love that you call him Walter still. And you know what, I love that you figured out that you had to acknowledge him or he's going to give you some problems.
1: So never never scared me, just like I said, never broke anything again, never scared me, never did any damage, never scared anybody that came in the house. But something that I needed would be moved and I would have to kind of ask and then it would show up and. I don't know what was going on. You know, I know what I believe. I know a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, woo woo. And, um, and that's fine. I just know that this is what happened. And I'm okay with it. I know a lot of people are kind of like, you should have told him to go away and go rest. And he seems happy. So
0: (laughs) I mean, you know, I I I was gonna ask you, hey, Walter, you can go now you can go to the light, but maybe he really likes Liza there. And he likes to watch over you. I mean, sometimes that's just he's just an extra little guardian guy for you. He's just kind of helping you out you know so I why not have somebody to me that's like the best case scenario that could have happened and I absolutely think that you can pick up certain antiques or even any kind of furniture that someone's attached to there's a chance there might be somebody attached to it so you know it just happens
1: I you know for years I thought I need to go back to the house that sold it to me and ask him and I never did because I was worried that the guy would be like I'm not taking him back. (laughs) You can't bring him back. (laughs) Um, and I Walter. would have loved to have known more of the story and why he disliked him so much. Wow. Yeah, well, um,
0: There was a reason he had Walter facing the wall or the corner, you know, I mean, really?
1: <laughs> I know. And I think that's why Walter liked me because I was just like, yeah, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Well, you weren't so frightened of him. Some people get so frightened of those kinds of things. And I understand that. But also, I, I wanted to talk to you real quick about right after your son had died, we're backtracking again. Something happened to you that no one remembers but you when right after you found out your son had died and everyone was at your house and you were sitting by yourself and crying and this lovely woman came up to you and sat down beside you and what happened after that?
1: Yeah, my house was full of people. I was getting ready to fly back home to my mom and dad's. There's a small cemetery in Ohio where I laid my son's body to rest. And uh, so I had a lot of people in my house that night and I was sitting on the floor, like you said, and a woman approached me and sat down next to me on the floor and started talking to me. And she was just saying things about my son that nobody would have known. You know, she was telling me that you know, my son had seen his father abusing me and hurting me. And that he wouldn't have, life was going to be hard for my child, that he would never really come back from that. Oh my gosh,
0: really? Okay.
1: Honestly, I kind of knew that I had a girlfriend who had been in the military who had been sexually brutalized. And she was at my house one day and she was talking to me about it. And she was getting ready to go to court about it. And I was trying to kind of play the devil's advocate. I was on her side a million percent, but I was also saying, I've been down this road and I just want you prepared for any outcome. And she she kind of hollered at me, which she had every right to, she was very upset. And my son ran over to her and was pushing on her legs and telling her to go home. He kept saying, go home, go home, and running back over to me and laying his head in my lap and telling me, I'll protect you, make me cry. I'll protect you. I'll protect you, mommy. And so this woman saying this to me, I'm thinking, how would you, no one knows this. How would you know that he saw what his dad had done to me? And I sat in amazement listening to her words and just being comforted by what she was saying. And she finally got up and we said our goodbyes. And um, I assumed that she had told me she had come from the church. And I assumed that one of my friends had sent her or I was still in the military when this happened. I assumed that my base commander or my squadron commander had sent someone. Right. And a few days after this had happened, I was talking to friends about it, and nobody remembered seeing her. Nobody claimed that they had seen her sitting and talking to me, had been at the house at all. Uh, When I went to my squadron commander to thank him for sending someone, he told me that they had not sent anyone. So I have absolutely no idea who this beautiful woman was, uh, this beautiful black woman that came and sat and gave me comfort and and talked to me about my child and told me that this was his path.
0: And it didn't even occur to you that she knew all the stuff because you were so distraught, I'm sure, that it was so comforting just to hear what she was saying. That was an angel. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And you know what, the more you talk about this, I am convinced that she was right. He would not have done well in this lifetime in that particular life. But he didn't want to leave you. So he came back to you. Yeah,
1: it it made so much sense to me. I mean, his father had, you know, been brutalized by his own father and just had repeated those horrible traits I tried to explain what this woman had said to me to friends and family and they were mortified. They were like, why would she say something like that? And what a horrible, you know, and I, I kept trying to explain to them. No, no, she, she knew, she understood. And, and, you know, not by any means that I wanted him to go. Oh, I just actually, I know we're running out of time. I just wanted to tell you this too. The same time, I own this teeny tiny little television at the time and I got a couple local stations little black and white television and I never watched TV and I happened to turn it on. This was just months after I'd lost Eric yeah. and I had been on my knees begging God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, just to bring him back to me. Just mm. please bring him back to me. Oh. And um, I turned this TV on this night and it's a PBS station. Cause it was like the only thing I got. And it was about children who had drowned, who came back.
0: Oh, my God. Who
1: they were able to resuscitate. And each one of these children were in some sort of vegetative state. And it was like someone just very calmly saying to me, I understand what you want, but you're being selfish. Mm. And is this what you would wish on? You know, this is what you're asking for. He can't come back. But it was just it was an answer for me. To stop, stop being on my knees morning, noon and night, begging and crying and, you know, making crazy bargains, you know, just, uh, yeah. There was so much around Eric's passing that just still surprises me. You know, my my girlfriend that showed up at my house when I got the phone call. Yes. I just found out the other day she was talking to me about it. And she told me that she and her husband were actually going home. And all of a sudden she said to her husband, we need to go see Beth. And I hadn't seen him in a couple months. She was actually pregnant with her first child. And um, he said, well, can't we go home and eat something first? (laughs) And she said, no, turn the car around right now. And they actually got to my house moments before my telephone rang with a pastor telling me that my son was gone. And if they hadn't shown up when they did, I would have been all alone with my 18-month-old child to find out that my son had been killed. Oh!
0: And what happened was you pretty much collapsed, which understandably so, and your friend took over the phone call and they took care of you. And what is so crazy on top of that is that even though you hadn't seen her in two months, that day you went to their house and they weren't home and when they came you yeah. know,
1: the the feeling of going to see them was overwhelming and i just you know we didn't have cell phones then and i didn't call we just jumped in the car and i drove to the other side of the base and went to their house and they were gone and i didn't leave a message and went home and you know a few hours later i look out my front window and they're pulling up and you know i walked out front and i was laughing and i'm like i was at your house earlier i've been thinking about you and and wow. my friend Kathy said, we've been, we couldn't get you off our minds. And we actually turned and stepped into the house and the phone
0: rang. That was, that was an angel taking care of you. That, that was divine yes, intervention. Yeah. Was, I, was. I told her the other, sorry. No, it's okay. I told,
1: I told, <clears throat> hold on. <laughs> it's okay. I told her the other day when she told me that, cause I didn't know about her husband, Rob saying, can't we go home and eat first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, she demanding that he turn around. I told her the other day, I said, I don't know where I'd be if you hadn't been there that day for Tyler and I, because I don't think I would have made it. I don't, I just don't think I would have made it. Oh, honey.
0: And you know what? That's probably why I think, you know, they didn't want your 18 month old witnessing something so traumatic for their, you know, and being there by himself and not knowing what to do. Oh my, that, yeah, that was divine intervention. You You said it perfectly. That was exactly what happened. And Wow, I, I'm so glad you're close to them. And you can still talk about it with them because they know exactly what happened. You know, she knows what happened. And girl, you have so. this is what I want to tell my listeners. You guys don't understand how many crazy, incredible stories Beth has that I, I can't even the cemetery story where she went to talk about burying her mother who uh, unfortunately passed from cancer. And uh, she wanted to have them close to her son. They had nothing available. So they showed him another place, and it was so far away from Eric. And she's like, well, This just isn't going to work. The guy leaves that's showing the actual cemetery plots to answer a phone call, comes back and says, Guess what? The person not really far from Eric's grave has decided to uh, give up that plot for some reason. And it happened to be that day. What?
1: Yeah, Eric's grave is cat a corner. It is the row behind my mother and father just to the right-hand side. They're right next to one another, basically.
0: And you know, and another thing though, Beth, your mother passed from cancer, and your dad, what, two years later? Not even, I don't even know if it was two years. He died of the same cancer. Two Two months and two days. He died of the same kind of cancer.
1: What? the same cancer. We didn't even know my mom was sick. None of us knew it was lung cancer that went to her spine and then small cell carcinoma went to her brain. I packed up everything and left San Francisco and took my kids. I told my job I was taking a leave absence and I went home. Uh, There's five of us kids and I went home to help with my mom and I had been with her the whole time and my kids were actually with a friend and I called my one brother and I said, can you come and sit with mom? I haven't seen the kids in a week. I need to go see them. And he came to the house. And by the time I drove to my friend's house, they were calling that my mom had been rushed to the emergency room. And um, I jumped back in the car and I ran to the hospital. And they didn't want to tell me that she died right after I left the house. Um, My dad, he was just so in love with my mother. And he went, he sunk into a horrible depression. And my sister was visiting and we took my dad to the doctor. This was my mom died in October. So this would have been early December. We took my dad to the doctor and my dad wouldn't let us go in with him. So uh, after my dad walked out, I went in and it was a family doctor. And I said, dad is saying everything's fine. I don't think everything's fine. And the doctor was like, no, we found the same cancer that your mom had, but it's not as advanced. And three days later, I'm sitting with my father we had, the five of us had decided that we would take turns sitting with our father. Everybody had come in. My one brother from Colorado, another, you know, we're all coming in from all over. Right. And I went to bed. I actually brought my kids to my mom and dad's house. I went to bed with my kids. And when it was my turn to sit with my dad, it was early morning and uh, I'd been sitting with him for a while and he was kind of in and out. We had had hospice in, and I got the most overwhelming feeling that I just needed to stand and stretch. And I stood up and turned my back to my dad for a second. And in the middle of that stretch, I knew, I knew he was gone. Oh. And I turned around and I started doing CPR and screaming for my brothers and sister. And my little brother came up and started doing CPR and, and he was gone. But yeah, my my mother died October, I want to say the sixth. Then my father died December eighth.
0: Oh my goodness. And they were
1: down there. They were young. I mean, I'm 61 and my mom was 64 and my dad was 65, but they had both been smokers. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, it took them.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh, Beth, you guys go follow Beth on TikTok. Her I'm going to put her handle on my show notes. Because we're not even getting to all the stories. This is how incredible her life is and has been and will probably continue to be. And Beth, I honestly can't thank you enough for coming on my podcast and just telling me how you reacted and how things happened in your life and just how it's affected you. It's hard and it's personal. And I thank you so much for just sharing this with me.
1: I really appreciate you reaching out. This is only the second time I've done a podcast and the response I got from the first one uh, was the Brave Files and uh, just hearing from other people that have experienced things like this that don't feel comfortable talking about it, them telling me that it's helped them has really made a huge impact on me. And knowing that my son has made an impact on people to all, you know, 30 some years later,
0: uh, I couldn't ask for more. You are amazing. And I thank you again. Thank you so much.